From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. My name is Matabe Modise, and I run Beauty on Tap and a brand called Pastry Skincare as well. So what is Beauty on Tap? So Beauty on Tap is an e-commerce company. We're an e-tailor, well, formerly an e-tailor because we just opened a store. I've never heard of that, e-tailor. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, e-commerce actually speaks to um, digitizing business. So it's Mm. like making your business internet friendly. And so e-tailor is just the retailing part of that. So it breaks it down further. It's kind of e-commerce is the heading, e-tailor is the subheading. Mm. So we're an e-tailor. We retail cosmetics from niche brands to your more popular or internationally known brands. What did it look like at the very beginning when you were starting this? So we started off as a find a beauty service application. I remember this. Yeah, it was like a find a beauty service application. Back then people used to use Uber, like beauty Uber. Mm. And it was basically to simplify people looking for beauty services and to give small beauty businesses a shop front. And I always use my braider Shumi as an example. We wanted to give her the opportunity to have a shop front on a very easy to use application where people could click on Breda and she pops up if you're in her area. Mm-hmm. So that's literally how the beauty, well, how Beauty on Tap started off and now it's completely changed into a completely different business. What were the things that you learned testing this, you know, model of basically Uber for beauticians? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what were the things that you were learning there that made you think, you know what, maybe this needs to be different? So I think when everyone starts a business, you have this optimism that it's such a great idea. On day one, everyone is going to buy into it. Mm -hmm. And early on, like literally on day one of the business, I learned that monetizing your idea is really, really difficult. And although the idea was brilliant and people thought like, wow, this is something that's really needed. Value add was so important to both the app users and the beauty businesses on the app because Mm. on one end, you had to say to these businesses, we have so many people on our app that are using it. So please pay a subscription fee. And then we had to tell or kind of like give users a full directory and, you know, a rich directory of beauty businesses. And so there was kind of this catch 22. And so I learned very early that one, your business needs to have a value add to both the business or you know your your stake well your entire stakeholder group mm. you need to add some kind of value to your business and i also learned that what sounds good in your mind as a great idea might not necessarily translate to that to people on day one you really need to sell your products to people and so mm. that's kind of like the lesson that i've carried through beauty on tap all these years is that you need to add value and you need to kind of like sell your product or business to people genuinely as well yeah Did you get to a significant traction, though, with the service that you had, like from, you know, a beautician side, but also from customers as well? Yeah, we actually did get to a point where there was traction and where people were actually paying, even up until we kind of closed the app down because we're transforming it into a shopping app now. Some people were actually seeing value in it. And I remember Shumi, my braider, used to say to me, oh, my word, I got a customer from your application today. And so there was some value in it. And I mean, on the other side of it, there was a find a product side. Mm -hmm. And that's how the e-com or the e-tailing part of the business actually um, started is that we had a find a product side and people were like, okay, cool. We're finding all these niche brands, but we want to buy them on one platform. 
And so it's not like the app was like, you know, a useless thing that just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. It kind of just transformed and grew over time. But the initial idea did kind of give birth to what Beauty on Tap is today. So I think, you know, people kind of shouldn't scrap ideas and say it's not working out. You just have to evolve that idea and make it work for customers and all your stakeholders. Yeah. Mm. So what does it look like to go from, okay, we're going to try, you know, become, you know, a marketplace for petitions, but also mm. customers finding the people that can do that, but then realizing, okay, so the product side actually makes sense and yeah. like a lot more traction is coming there. Mm -hmm. So what does the pivot look like in the process to go, okay, no more app, mm. no more marketplace. Mm. What we actually need to do is build, you know, a marketplace for small, you know, niche brands mm. in this specific industry. So the first thing that was really enticing with the, the product side and the e-tailing side was that it was much easier to monetize because mm. um, you're now selling something that's tangible. People can see what they're buying. And so the, you know, the excitement with that was that, oh, okay, finally we can monetize the application. What was then the challenge was that, okay, cool. We, not, we now need to add value. How do you go to a brand and say, I want to sell your stuff. Please mm. give it to me on consignment. Because at the time you've built an app, you don't have funds anymore. You don't have funds to buy a product. And you also don't want to take the risk of holding so much product on you. Now it goes, you know, off over time or it expires, which did happen because mm -hmm. we bought too much of a certain brand and the stuff went off. We had to discard it. And so, you know, the whole idea is there. And now you're starting off this e-commerce company. You have to convince brands like, please, you know, we have an established application. We have one year's track record. We do have people using the app. We have mm. followers on social media. Trust us, please give us your product. And so the challenge then was then convincing these brands to sell on our platform, to give us stock on consignment. And I think the most important thing for us and that worked out was building a community around our brand. And I know that's something that you're very passionate about as well. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what built the brand was just us building a community and brands now that are listed with us and sell with us cite that that you guys actually have a community that loves the brand and that keeps coming back and so that's how that looked like and that's what we've had to build the business on over the years yeah mm. so how did you guys build this new was it a new platform mm -hmm. um did you guys have to completely shut down the mm -hmm, app mm -hmm. and then also how do you start to identify what the right products are because i do think that in beauty there's a lot of different products yeah how do you start to determine what are the right products to actually have on the platform as well we didn't shut down the app completely at the time. We kept the service side running and mm. we kept the product side running. And we actually kind of tried to build synergies around both to say, if you buy a product, we'll give you 10% off this braider or mm. you can get 10% off at this nail salon if you buy certain products. And so we did try to build like a symbiotic relationship between the two to grow the service side of it. Mm. And so it wasn't too difficult to do that. But for us then... We had to build a website because mm. we only had an app at the time. So now we had to build a website called Shop Beauty on Tap because the Beauty on Tap, you know, belonged to the app yeah. and people registering there. So now we had to build a website, Shop Beauty on Tap, which was quite easy. Building websites is much more, is cheaper than building an app. It's easier. There's a lot more people who can do it. So the skill is there. Yeah. And so we had to now build this website, Shop Beauty on Tap, which was really easy to do. But I think the thing for us was that we need to make it as easy as possible for people to shop on our website. And so we need to break down categories. And that's what another differentiator was, is that people should be able to say, I want a spray for curly hair kind of thing. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. I want to spray for 3C or 4C hair because at the time we were more focused on hair care because the natural hair movement was so big. And so that's what we did. And finding great brands is, you know, you kind of have an inkling and you do research and you can see this is a great brand. It will work. But marrying a great brand to your community and what they want is really difficult. So you do get it wrong at times. But for us, it was kind of like looking internationally, looking at what international websites are doing, looking at the ingredients. At the time, we were doing clean beauty. So it was looking at ingredients, looking at packaging, looking at brand stories. I don't Mm. think people understand how important a brand story is as well. And that's how we kind of like choose brands even today is looking at all of that, looking at packaging, looking at how it appeals to the market, their own social media pages. You know, um, a lot of brands think of their list on Beauty on Tap will do the marketing for them. Mm -hmm. But marketing your own brand is so important as well. And that's how we've kind of like gotten it right over the years. But I mean, we still do get it wrong with brand listing. Some brands we can list and they don't sell at all. Yeah. Mm. What makes a good brand story? Authenticity. I think if your story is authentic, if you're solving a problem and your story is authentic, then people will will love your brand. And it's not necessarily buying into your brand because that's making it commercial. Communities built on people trusting your brand, people talking about your brand. A community member isn't just somebody who buys from you. It's not somebody who exchanges money with you. It's somebody that can go out there and say, I can't afford this brand right now, but I'm going to tell people about it. That's what a community member mm. is. And so... If you can tell your story authentically, talk to your community, engage with them, it builds a good brand story, but don't fake it, you know, <laughs> don't fake it. Don't be like... So much of, of business people talk about as being fake it or make, like you just fake it and just figure it out yeah. as you go. Mm. But this is one of those things where you want to be as honest as you possibly can yes. like, throughout that entire process. 100%. How have you guys been able to build a community around what you guys are building? Because I do think that that's such a strong pillar of yours is Mm. having people that are not just buying but they're buying sharing feedback Mm. sharing with people Mm. making content and just contributing to the growth of not just the community itself but the growth of the niche brands and Mm. so much more as well i think the one thing that's been really important is that despite us you know getting the right products and telling the story is that we listen to our community Mm. you know if our community says we need more of this. Please get this brand on. Please, can you consider a product that does this? We actually actively go out into the market and look for products like that to a point where we even created a brand because of what people were saying. Mm. And so listening to your customer, getting that feedback, genuinely engaging with your customer and hearing their thoughts is just so important as well. And so I think our thing has been we are a brand that speaks to black women, which Mm. is a forgotten market. It's a market where people don't know how to genuinely speak to black women. Maybe it's easier for me because I am a black woman. So I I know how I would like a brand to talk to me genuinely and Mm. authentically. And so, you know, us targeting natural hair at the time was just because one, natural hair products were so expensive, they were unaffordable. It was more based on bringing expensive international brands in and nobody was teaching black women how to look after their hair. That's another thing we do is that we teach. Mm. And so I think for us, it was that we spoke to a community that nobody was speaking to authentically, that nobody was listening to and engaging with. And I think with building community, you need to actively listen and engage with your customers more than just try to sell product to them. Yeah. Mm. 
So you speak about these movements that have happened, you know, whether it's like the natural hair care and all of those, but now you're seeing like a lot bigger brands start to think about making sure that they're servicing black women, right? Mm -hmm. You have an industry that for years, decades almost, just forgot about this entire mass of people mm. and then suddenly woke up that, oh, wait, we actually need to create something for these people as well. Mm. What do you think of that movement that started sort of to build around brands that are specifically for black women? Mm. And yeah, where do you think that's going? So, I mean, it's still at the beginning stages. I mean, if you walk into any retailer and you go to the hair care section, the black brand section or for black women or black hair is still tiny, tiny, tiny. And there's still like a huge role mm. for like Caucasian hair and so on. And so we still have a really long way to go, but there are some strides being made. I think historically it was just based on who has spending power, who has money to actually buy product. And I think over the years and even just how culture is influenced Black women influence culture, like mm. globally, you know, whether it's fashion, beauty, how makeup is done, you know, black women and, you know, they influence culture. And so this isn't a market that you, you can just ignore. This mm. is a market that is vocal. This is a market that sets trend. It's an important market. And there's a lot of spending power in that market as well. But for me, you know, it's kind of shallow to say that brands are listening to black women now because they have spending power. It's a market that should have been catered for a long time ago in any case. And so it's really great that even just from foundation color spectrum, black women are being included now. From hair care, you know, black women are being included. And so <clears throat> although the strides are really slow, it's really great that those are being made. But more so in South Africa, I mean, for the rest of the world, it's okay. Like it, it took a long time. This is a market where the majority demographic is black women. It's mm. not a market that you can ignore. And so many brands still ignore black women. Like you can see in the marketing, you can see in the languaging and how they engage with black women. It's still a market that isn't really being spoken to loudly. And so, you know, although there is that shift, it's still pretty slow. And I would personally like to see more traction in that regard with listening to black women, engaging them, hearing what they want. And just, you know, making products more suitable for them as well. What makes a really great product when it comes to this segment and just like this industry? Because I do think as much as we've spoken about the marketing and the branding and the community building, what makes a really great product? So one of the things that excites me about the beauty industry is that small niche brands are actually shaking up big brands. They're mm. actually causing like a huge shift in the market. And it's just because of that thing that these are brands that listen to people's needs. These are brands that hear people say, this is my skin concern, but I don't want this in my product. And they go out and formulate something that speaks to that. Mm. Uh, and so that's what's really amazing about this industry is that, you know, people are creating products in their kitchens and, you know, using packaging that they can buy from, you know, uh, you know, just a retailer and packaging it and selling it. And, you know, over time, as they start making more money, then perfect it, you know, get better packaging, better formulations. And so it's an industry that is kind of low barrier to entry. It's an industry that can create side hustles. Mm. It's an industry that is inclusive, that anybody can kind of get into. Um, and so I think the beauty of the beauty industry is that you can be as niche as possible, but still really make it and build something really great and big. And so I guess... The dynamicism of the beauty industry is what makes it really enticing and pretty cool. What makes a great product, I suppose, is that 
you need to add value. I I think you can't just whip up a body butter anymore. Like, mm. you know, things are so far gone now. The science behind it is really big now. So I think what makes a great product is you need to add value to your consumer. You need to tell them what your product does. What's so special about your product that I need to buy it? What's in your hairspray? What's in your body butter? I think beauty is visual, so it needs to be appealing packaging-wise. It needs mm. to be really great. And so you need to also need to market, build a community around your beauty brand. Beauty brands grow because of community. Even a brand like Sephora, it's based on community. They have a community icon on their website. You know, mm. they're so big on community and hearing their customers and listening to them. So I think those three things are really the recipe for success for any beauty brand is just value, hearing the consumer, great packaging and building a community around your brand. Yeah. Mm. And just going back to, you know, so now you've built out, you know, the website itself, mm. right? What was the journey like to building that up, but also now launching this new platform and now going to consumers and saying, we're not just going to connect you to petitions. What we're going to do is sell you the best products that are really great brands mm. and they have these sort of benefits and stuff like that. Yo, Mash, remember, I'm not, I'm not a tech person. I'm an accountant. <laughs> So in terms of building websites, it really took a few iterations to get it right. And mm. even then, I don't know everything about websites. I mean, our website last year crashed. We had to build a new website fast. Mm. So tech-wise, I'm not too good. But as a consumer, also, I think sometimes as business owners, you need to step back and say, what do I want as a consumer on a website? And so, I mean, our first website was really difficult to use. It wasn't user-friendly. It would just hang when people try to check out. And so a year, I think it was two years after launching our first website, we relaunched a much easier website. It was easier to navigate. It worked. It was smooth. And then we kind of said, let's, let's reject this and make it super easy to use. Like if somebody walks into our website or stumbles on it and has no idea how to use the internet, has no idea how to use websites, mm. how to shop beauty, how do you do it? If my grandmother had to log on, how how easy does it have to be for her? Mm. And so how we differentiated ourselves is our shopping experience is very granular. You can shop up to the ingredients, concern, product, whatever you need. You know, our contact page is very like contact heavy. Email us, you know, DM us, WhatsApp us, whatever you need, just contact us. And mm. so the website side of it was just making it as easy to use as possible and selling the best products on our website, you know, telling people what's the best seller having trustworthy brands there. I know a lot of people say, you know, you kind of moved from your niche local brand offering and now you have a lot of big brands on your website. And, you know, our whole thing was that you need anchor brands on your website so people mm -hmm. can see the smaller brands as well. And so for us, it's like having a La Roche-Posay or a CeraVe on our website. If somebody sees a CeraVe wash next to a small local brand, it gives that brand more eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of that kind of went into building our website. And as I say, our website completely changed over the years. I'm not a tech person, but I've learned a lot about tech. I, <laughs> I don't know how to code. I don't know how to code, but I know WooCommerce. I know Shopify. Ah, you're good. I'm good. You know? <laughs> I know how to paste the code. I know where to put it. And so over the years, I've learned a lot about tech, about user experience. Mm. And so, yeah, changing our website and making it easy was probably the biggest thing that we had to do. And we've kind of achieved that now. What's it like navigating e-commerce in South Africa? And like, I ask this because I do think that 
you know, a lot more people should be talking about the realities of it. Mm. When you go on TikTok, you go on YouTube, you just mm. see all these, you know, are you selling online? And it's like, <laughs> hold on. Chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think COVID gave us a unrealistic perspective or expectation of e-commerce because mm. everyone was in their home. So the internet was the only way to, well, not the only way, but the easiest way to shop. And that's what grew Beauty on Tap is during COVID, everyone was on their phones shopping, you know, and mm. we were self-care, we were able to sell. And so everyone pivoted towards e-commerce and even, you know, big companies pumped so many resources into devs, into coders and software engineers because the internet was booming at the mm. time. But when you read reports and stats on how small e-commerce is globally, um, and even worse in South Africa, I think in some countries it accounts for 20% of retail sales, which is still pretty small. I mean, it's a lot. But in South Africa, I think it's 2%. And so COVID kind of grew that, I think, from like something like 0.8% to 2%. Mm. It's tiny. It's still very small. And so although people think that smartphones are accessible now and that, you know, there's Wi-Fi that's accessible and people are all shopping on the internet, we still have a long way to go. And so e-commerce is is huge. Get on the internet, you know, sell online. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people still don't trust e-commerce firstly, but we're slowly getting there. I think there are a lot of companies that are dedicating resources to making payments easier, to making delivery faster. In South Africa, we still need to work on our delivery services. Mm -hmm. And so we have a long way to go still, but we're, we're getting there slowly. So, you know, you pivoted from the beauty tab you know, Beauty on Tap as an app, connecting beauticians. And then, you know, the online e sort of marketplace. Mm -hmm. The next pivot is building out a brand. Yes. I'm very curious, you know, what makes you go, we might have a marketplace and, you know, we understand what makes a great product. We understand how to market a great product. For me, in my mind, that goes, yeah, you should definitely launch a brand of your own. Yeah. I mean, why not? Like... <laughs> Why wouldn't you do that? And How I mean, did you mm. start to think about that process? And like, what, what, what has been that journey to building out that brand? Mm. So this is why I say listening to consumers is so important. Because even as the owner, I'll look at DMs and I'll engage with people. And people were just saying, you know, we love the skincare for our face, but nobody's doing stuff for our body. Like body mm. butters are great, but nobody has active ingredients in products. And they'd say, can I put the serum on my chest? Can I use this toner on my back for my body acne? Mm. And so they were like, please, can you look for products that can do this? And we looked in the markets and even internationally, no one was really doing body care with active ingredients. And I had somebody DM me a while back when we were still doing hair care. Well, when we were still big on hair care. And they said, can you guys, she said, if you ever want to do your own product, hit me up. If you want to do a shampoo or whatever, I, I can formulate, I've got you. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to her and I said, you know, a lot of people have been asking about body care with active ingredients. From a health perspective, is that feasible? Will it cause any issues? And she was like, no, it's actually, you can do it. And we started off with our first product, which was our niacinamide body butter. And so pastry skincare was born. And funnily enough, I always thought I'd open a beauty salon called Pastry. Mm -hmm. I even have a board still on my Pinterest that says, pastry beauty salon and so when they asked what are you going to call it i was like pastry skincare it sounds pretty good it's whipped up with love it works on your skin you know something beautiful delicious 
And that's how pastry was born, was just listening to what consumers wanted. But what was really important for me was that it shouldn't just be a body care product. It mm. needs to be really high quality. You know, it shouldn't be just, oh, we're answering what you want. So here's something. Mm -hmm. The formulations had to be superior. The packaging, the branding, how the brand looks, how people experience it has to be really great. And so we started Pastry Skincare and it is now, I think, our, it's, yeah, it's a high selling brand now, Beauty on Tap, and it kind of anchors our online store. And so it's like, why would people go somewhere else if they can get pastry and yeah. everything else on one website? And so that's the pastry story in short. How, how important do you think community and the work that you did in building that mm. was for people to be, be able to trust this new brand? 100%. Because because it's like, oh, wait, I trust these people to mm -hmm. select the best product in the market. Yeah. If they create one of their own. I have that like immediate trust in that this is the best that could possibly be, right? Mm. How important was that? But more than that, also, what does the product development look like from what you guys have on pastry now mm. and for the future? I think that is so important. And I never really consider that in telling pastry story is that the trust that we built with our community on Beauty on Tap is what really fit into pastry and why people trust pastry mm. because pastry did well from day one and it's not me being arrogant but people trusted it from day one and said if beauty on tap can launch their own product i trust that they're going to deliver to me on time they're accessible they're transparent and so you know let me try pastry out and that's why i say authenticity and building trust with your customers and engaging with them is so important because if you roll something out it's, I mean, it's likely that people will trust it as well. Mm. And so building that community and that trust really fit into pastry a lot. What pastry looks like in the future is product rollout, obviously. Mm. We are innovating a lot more products. I always look at what international brands are doing. And I think we're kind of on par with international. And so it's kind of just trying different things. We work with a really great formulator. So... You know, it's trying different things. It's getting pastry into retail. You know, I always, I always want to share like, oh, it's so difficult. Like, <laughs> yo, you like have two kids. One wants to grow. Another one is like, but you can't grow without me. So now it's like, um, there's so many retailers that want pastry. And we kind of have to be like, oh, but you know, mm. if we give it to you, then people are just going to go to you and we're betraying beauty on tap. And so we're trying to get it into retailers, but niche retailers that won't ruin our beauty on tap market as well. Mm. Uh, so that's what we're kind of juggling at the moment. Yeah. Mm. How different is it managing e-commerce marketplace versus trying to grow beauty brand? Yeah, a beauty brand is really difficult. Like beauty on tap is pretty easy to run because you just, put in an order and the brands must deliver mm. uh, except for the now the retail experiences is adding a little you know span in the works but your pastry is a lot of work from just formulations and stability and making sure that the product is right to testing it like you know we roll out a product and then we're like oh it's not stable we need to recall it or reformulate and fix it it's just managing stock like forecasting that's just so hard Funding pastry is really expensive because you mm. need to hold the stock, you need to manufacture. Um, and so Beauty on Tap was pretty easy. 
pastry has really, really humbled me. Like I used to always shout at brands like, how can you not have stock when we ask? Come on. <laughs> and now I have retailers saying to me, how can you not have stock? I mean, come on. So yeah, pastry has really humbled me. But, you know, for me, it's a learning experience and we're kind of working to get that right now. So to the final pivot, because I feel like this entire podcast is just talking about <laughs> the number of pivots. So to the final pivot mm. of, and maybe it's not a pivot, is mm. you guys launching your own store. Mm. Can you take us through the thought process of, you know, going from online to actually building out a store, the thinking there, mm. but also the experience as well? Yo, people feel so betrayed that we opened a store because they're like, you're supposed to stay online. Come on, it's called Beauty on Tap. But yeah, so for me, I always think of Beauty on Tap, the company, in kind of like expansion silos, or can I call it silos? And so I always look at how do we expand this company responsibly and frugally? Because, you know, funding is a thing. It's not, you know, funding is not just out there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the first thing was obviously was the app. Uh, you know, how do we monetize it? Then, you know, the website was born. And then it was like, how do we grow the website? You just keep adding more brands that are mm. reputable. And then it was like, okay, cool. How do you anchor people to keep coming back to you? Because these brands are sold everywhere now. And it was like, okay, cool. Start your own brand that anchors the website and brings people back. And then it was like, okay, cool. How do we grow pastry, roll out products? But now we were stuck in saying, how do we scale our online offering on Beauty on Tap? How do mm. we grow beauty on tap beyond just adding a whole lot of brands on the website and also just because we want to keep that brand integrity that we sell quality you don't want to add too much you want to kind of like keep it niche as well and so i had to think of how do we grow this how do we grow beauty on tap and it was okay cool we can ship internationally but how do we just grow that that customer base and you know, the first thought was open a store. And this was a while ago. And I felt like you're opening a store so risky, like it can work. You know, the overheads are so high. Online is kind of lean to run. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we sounded it and people would be like, you know, we really want to experience your brand in person because, you know, the way we experience you virtually or online is so great. You deliver fast. Your staff is friendly when we engage. The way you guys do social media is so engaging and fun to experience beauty on tap in person would be really great. Mm. And so for us, it was like, okay, do we have pop-ups or, you know, how do we do it? And opening a store was kind of like the natural progression. And so we opened our first store on the 8th of April and we really wanted, I mean, beauty on tap's thing is we want to sell affordable beauty products. And so the whole offering was that we want to give you an affordable shopping experience in a luxury space. Mm. And that's what we've built. And that's what the website is. We call it walk into the website. So the natural thing for us to do was to open a store. And now the question is, do you open lots of stores? Do you keep it niche? Do you open one in each of the big cities? Mm. So that's kind of the next step now. I'm always like next stepping, you know, what's the next thing? <laughs> um, but I'm waiting for the store to settle, see how it goes, try get it right, try get just the experience right as well. We also want to add a lot more tech into the store to make that shopping experience more of an e-commerce shopping experience, but in person. Mm. And so, yeah, the store thing was just the natural thing to do, even though people feel betrayed. But I mean, our customers are so excited. They don't have to pay for shipping. 
<laughs> That's the thing they all say Like oh I don't have to add my cart to 800 Now to get free shipping So I'm glad everyone is happy That they've received the store so well What's the experience you hope to build for Your customers when they walk in And like get to experience the brand in person And you know Yeah I think the one thing that people have been so excited about Is that when they walk in The the store assistants are so friendly one mm. and they know what they're talking about. You know, when people say I want something for blemishes, they know exactly where to go. They know exactly what to offer the customer. But I really want people to have fun in the store. I want people to experience luxury in the store. Our community is so special to us. And so for us to give them a luxury, affordable shopping experience was so important. Mm. And, you know, everyone has been like, the store is so beautiful. I mean, I even made shopping a scent for the store a moment like when people walk in they need to smell the store and just be like oh, i want to live here forever and so you know for us it was just creating that experience for people you know and just also giving you know because we target our you not target but our biggest customer base is black women giving them just a luxurious space to shop in but also just having nice you know events in the store on weekends having exciting things happen so that's what we're going to do. And, you know, I hope that people, you know, appreciate the store as well and what we've done. I think there was no, there wasn't really a a beauty store in South Africa anymore. It's more high-end beauty stores. So nobody was really giving an affordable um, beauty store. So I hope people experience it in that way, like the luxury mm. side of it. What's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself throughout this journey? The one thing I've learned about myself in, you know, the past three years or so with the expansion was that I actually have anxiety. <laughs> I didn't know mm. I have anxiety. And it's something that I've had to learn to manage over the past few years. I learned that I'm not as resilient as I thought I would be. This is me being vulnerable. I learned that I'm not as resilient as I thought I was. And so that's where the anxiety comes in and just learning to manage that I always make a joke in the office that they talk to me the whole day. <laughs> and sometimes I have to be like, I need I need quiet time. Like I always mm. joke with them like, oh, I can't wait until we have a big head office and you can't access my office. So that's the one thing I've learned about myself. But I've also learned that I'm a creative more than an accountant. Mm. Um, people used to say that to me. I had a boss where I used to work and he'd be like, oh, you're not a banker. He's like, you're, <laughs> like how dare you? He'd say, you're not a banker, you're a creative. I can see like you, you love creating, you love like just making things pretty. And so that's the one thing I've learned about myself is that I actually should have done marketing, mm -hmm. not accounting, but I think accounting has helped on the business side of things. So I've learned my weaknesses, I've learned my vulnerabilities, but I've also seen that my strengths have played a big role in growing beauty on tap. Yeah, mm. talking about just like the that corporate journey, mm. Are there things that you've taken from, you know, your experience as an accountant, working in corporate structures, working in corporate teams, that has been super valuable for building your own business? Mm. So I worked in, you know, people always say to me, if you had to go to corporate, where would you go? I'm like, I'd go back to, can I mention the name? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd go back to <laughs> Rand Merchant Bank. That's where I was for the past, for eight years before this. Mm. Um, and I suppose why I really liked it is just, it was just a high performance environment. Like at R&B, they tell you like, everyone is smart here. Like everybody's clever here. So to shine, you need to shine. And so it was super high performance. You learned discipline, you mm. learned work ethic, 
you learned that if the client needs a deal signed, you work, you get the deal signed, even though it sounds horrible. But it taught me so much about work ethic, about delivering to clients, about mm. efficiency. That's what Beauty on Tap is. And I don't ever take for granted that what I learned at R&B has really fed into Beauty on Tap. And even the team here is like, yo, why do you make us so high performance? I'm like, sorry, mm. it's, it's all I know. <laughs> so yeah, like just being in that environment was just, was just so fruitful and I'm really grateful for it. And you know, my last stint at R&B, I was working in the CEO's office as his EA. And I used to just say to people, my boss works, like he mm -hmm. works, like he's just, for me, it was just like, you know, he's dedicated to what he's doing. He knows what he's doing and he's putting in the hours. And so it really taught me a whole lot of work ethic and the team here. That's why people are like, yo, you guys work. And I don't make them work till midnight, you know, it's just that when we're here, we work, we want to deliver to clients as well. So really yeah. grateful for that experience. What's the hardest thing about trying to scale Two different businesses, technically. Mm. So what's the hardest thing about building a business, mm. but more importantly, scaling one? The hardest thing about building a business is that you actually have to, you know, I always say to people, the thing about maintaining the same customer service throughout the years is really difficult. Keeping that value is really difficult. And so... You know, I was saying the other day, oh, we're opening a retail store. It's like opening a new business, but then you still have a business that's still running, that still needs the same service offering as what you're trying to, you know, build in this new one. And so I think keeping that seamless customer service in place while trying to build has been really, really important in maintaining Beauty on Tap's integrity. I think what's difficult about Growing a business, one is of the obvious one is funding. I think getting funding is really difficult in South Africa. Even if you have a track record, even just, you know, talking to banks and saying to them, I'm looking for funding is really difficult. And so I think, you know, that's a hard part. And also just understanding what consumer needs are. The beauty industry is constantly changing. Trends change every single day in beauty. I mean, when you log on to TikTok, there's a new makeup technique. <laughs> and so, you know, staying, you know, on trend for beauty is hard. And so, you know, it's just constantly innovating and making your brand relevant while also keeping that same seamless customer service is quite a difficult thing to, to navigate. What does the future look like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Open a few stores. I think it's it's interesting how, how much you think about expansion. Like, I think expansion is the thing that is like yeah. so clear for you. Yeah, it's like... Is that the thing that's like... Yeah, for me, scaling is important because people always think about how do you scale? How do you get more customers? And so I constantly think of scaling, you know. Um, for me, scaling is getting more brands on the website. It's growing pastry. It's getting pastry out internationally. I mean, pastry is international it's it's an international brand i mean we've had big retailers in america contact us about pastry so it's getting pastry out into the world and just growing beauty on tap whether that's opening a few more stores maybe i'm not going to open 100 stores definitely not <laughs> i'm going to try to keep it as niche as possible but it's basically just looking at how we can grow all three brands i mean we also have a little brand mimosa that we're trying to grow which is for babies a baby beauty on tap 
So it's just looking at how we can grow all of them. And I mean, for now, I'm stable with regards to expansion. I'm not trying to like, okay, now I'm doing logistics. So I'm trying to like kind of keep it stable and grow what we currently have on hand responsibly. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mesh. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.